Welcome to Inside MWHC. We're here today with Debbie Marushi and Karen Myers, who are bereavement counselors with Mary Washington Hospice. Welcome guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we're talking a little bit about the bereavement program at Mary Washington today and what counselors do, what you guys do on a day-to-day basis. Um, so let's start off, could you just tell me a little bit about yourselves? How did you decide to be counselors? How did that, that all come about? Debbie, why don't you start? I usually will tell people the, the first inkling I had that I knew I wanted to, to help with grief and counseling was in high school. I took a death and dying um, class and um, was probably the only student in there fascinated with how people accept death, how they deal with it. We even had a um, field trip to a funeral home. So it kind of opened my eyes to just wanting to deal with the emotions of people. So I ended up um, going to college, but I didn't major in counseling. I, I ended up going into education, taught for seven years. And my husband's job started us moving for quite a, quite a while and we had children. So um, I really didn't uh, or wasn't able to keep a career going because we moved so much. So I do a lot of volunteer work and our first overseas duty was in Iceland and I was able to do the counseling program. It was human and relations and counseling um, through University of Oklahoma. And um, so I did that while we lived there and I just fell in love with the idea of counseling. And I thought, well, gosh, how can I work this into us moving around? And a lot of it became through volunteer work. And um, so skipped to, uh, we lived several places in the United States and then ended up in Singapore as our last tour of duty. And um, there was, I was of the age where my parents were aging and a lot of the expats and military um, personnel there were dealing with the same thing. And Singapore is, you know, like 15 hours away (laughs) or longer than that, 20 hours away from the United States. So it was hard for us to keep up with taking care of our parents and dealing with their aging concerns. And so we started a volunteer group and I led it and it was so so insightful on just dealing with all types of grief, the grief of, you know, losing your parents as they age, the grief of losing your American culture and how to handle it. Um, also the, the grief of several people even in their lost, lost jobs because they had to make this move with their spouse. So it really helps me a lot get into that, that headspace of grief and, um, and just some experience with it. So when I, we finally got stationed back here in Stafford and I knew we were gonna be here for a while and an opening came up with Mary Washington Hospice for a bereavement counselor about seven, eight years ago. And um, I applied for it and got it and it's been great. It, it has helped me kind of hone in on on the things that I learned through my volunteer experiences, but also, um, boy, it's opened my world and and my mind to um, how we handle grief and how we need to be more vocal about it. So, so that's, that's my story. (laughs) Wow. What a, what a path to bring you to that, to that um, counseling. How amazing, how all of you've been all over the place. And Karen, what about you? How did you come into the counseling field? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I have a little bit of kind of parallel 
with Debbie, but just in a different form. Um, I very much came from a family um, who were all about their feelings. Um, they're in the psychology field. So I grew up uh, at a very young age, you know, being taught, you know, being happy, being sad, um, and all that in between should be talked about. So I think pretty much from a very early age, I was always kind of drawn to empathy and why people act a certain way and how they react to things and um, eventually grief being one of them. So I was a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, I um, am married and my husband also um, had a job in the military where it took us all over. And so I was a stay at home mom for a, um, a long period uh, taking care of my kids. So it's sometimes um, it's a little bit hard to get a career going as most military uh, spouses know. Um, but in that meantime, I developed um, a long run as a volunteer. I did a lot of nonprofit volunteering and just different roles in, in helping people and learning how the mind works, the heart works, you know, it's all connected. And we ended up landing back home here in um, Northern Virginia. And I was trying to find where I wanted to land. I knew that I wanted to do something meaningful and, um, you know, somewhat of a passion for myself. And uh, I knew that there was something out there, but it just took me some time. And thankfully there was an opening with Mary Washington Hospice. Um, I had not worked with hospice before, so it was a it was something very interesting to me, but I just felt led to it. I think most people in hospice will tell you the same. And um, once I interviewed, I immediately knew, I just, you know, even in the interview, Debbie was part of my interview process and my supervisor, um, as well as some other folks. And I just knew, I was like, oh, this is my people. You know, these are the people that I want to be with. And I want to be able to to help people work through their grief. And just like Debbie said, honestly, it's, it's changed my life. I think the way we view death, the way we view life and everything in between is transformative. And it just, it's something that you can't even put words to. You, you go through it with um, these families and it's, it's just something special. So I'm just so fortunate to be part of this counseling team. Wow. How cool and interesting that you guys kind of have a parallel path to, to bring you to this, this counseling position. You both did the volunteer work and the military spouse. Um, that's really, really cool. So thank you for sharing that. Tell us a little bit about what a bereavement counselor at Mary Washington Hospice actually does. Like, what is your day-to-day? -day, what do you do? I like to say we wear a lot of hats in one chair. Um, we basically are the last aspect of the of the hospice uh, journey for our families. Um, you know, we always say the nurses and social workers and chaplains and um, uh, the, the entire team, you know, they get to know the family and they get to know the patient while they're going through that journey. Um, but we're the last part of that. And we get to work with families after their loved one has passed. And so it's somewhat of uh, the baton is passed to us in order to um, walk with those families. So we normally will talk to bereaved family members and, um, you know, that could be a spouse, that could be a sibling, that could be um, a daughter, a son, or it could just be a loved one. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a family member. It, it, it's just someone who was in that person's life um, in that transition phase. And so 
you know, our day can look a little different each day. Sometimes we're on the phone with them. Sometimes we could be doing an event. There's days where we're working with bereavement volunteers. So, you know, it's a little bit of a mix. We're not so much on the road per se, um, especially, you know, post COVID things kind of changed a little bit, but um, we're just on a daily basis working with loved ones who are having a bit of a hard time and working with their grief. I would assume that that grief counseling could be a little bit of an intimidating thing to someone who's maybe never been in a counseling situation before or, you know, therapy or anything like that. Um, So can you talk us through a little bit about what a counseling session actually looks like? Is it in person? Is it over the phone? Um, Debbie, can you tell us a little bit about about what it would look like? Yes. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background of how we get to that point, um, when somebody is admitted onto hospice, they get a team of social worker, CNA, nurse, chaplain. And the social worker is basically the person that handles all their grief needs at the time before we come in. And um, they also handle any other emotional factors, family dynamics or anything. So they will do what's called an assessment. And that assessment is something that we use. Um, They do a pre-bereavement assessment and then a post-bereavement assessment. And then we come in after the patient has passed we come in and um, we call them to make that initial contact. And we base our call on that assessment that we got. And we also look into um, any other documents or anything else. Maybe the nurses have told us that, you know, the family's having a hard time with this or that. And we use that information to kind of introduce ourselves. And our contact is usually made two to four weeks after the um, patient has died. And the social worker will give us the the contact information as far as if it's a spouse, we have a lot of spouses, um, or if it's uh, a son or daughter of a parent that passed away, and or you know it just anybody, any of the family of the bereaved. And so we um, use the information they give us um, in that first phone call. And the reason we wait two to four weeks is because right after the death emotions as most people know are very high they've got a lot to do usually funeral home arrangements service arrangements so by the time we contact them at that two to four week period they're a little more settled down and they can kind of you know um accept our help sometimes they want to accept it sometimes they don't um so that is when we call them our first contact is always phone and we, we just kind of ask them general questions like, do you have a good support system? Um, maybe who is your support? Um, were you and your husband, uh, how long were you and your husband married? Um, were you close with your mom and dad? Um, if there was an estrangement, tell me about that. Just to get a feel for that relationship, because that relationship is what guides your grief. The deeper the, um, the love and relationship, it's going to be deeper grief for them. And so we kind of have to get a little bit of a, um, of a guideline on that. So we know how to handle their care plan, because that's what we're also looking at, looking at is setting up a care plan for them. I will say before COVID, we were able to do in-person counseling sessions. We didn't do them a lot. I'd probably say a quarter of our um, bereaved was through um, uh, one-to-ones. 
and we would have them either come into the office or sometimes we'd go to their home, especially if it was a spouse that um, was older, maybe lives in a facility or just couldn't get out, we would go out. But unfortunately, COVID stopped that and um, we don't do one-to-ones really anymore unless there really is you know, some extenuating circumstances and, and, and then we will, but I'll be honest with, we really don't do much anymore. Most of our contact is, is on the phone. Um, so, so when, then what we do is after we make, um, what we call an assessment, after we talk to them, we will come up with a care plan. And so our care plan is for 13 months. That is what Medicare requires us to um, offer bereavement services. It's part of their requirements for all of hospice. They have very specific requirements for care and bereavement is one of them. And so we will set up the care plan. So most of the time we offer either monthly calls um, every other month or even quarterly. And the quarterly ones are usually for people that are really doing all right but just want to check in, you know, and we just want to check in um, our monthly ones and sometimes even more than monthly, maybe even every other week, or I think Karen's got a couple that she may call call uh, weekly. Those are ones that need a little more attention and that's all right. And our goal is with those people that need a little more is to get them to a point where they don't need us as much and that they can learn how to cope. We've given them some maybe coping techniques or things to help with their grief and that they're able to to not depend on us. Now, you know, if somebody asks after 13, I've had a couple of people after 13, months if they want a, a couple of more phone calls of course we we will offer we don't say no um and we will have people it's so funny in the beginning um we'll have people that will say nope i'm fine don't want anything and you know we'll say okay that's great we always keep it open because a lot of times we they'll call back three four five months and say you know what i'm having a hard time i thought i was doing well um, you know, can, can, can I talk to you? <laughs> so, and, and then on the other extreme, the ones that need a lot of attention and we try to give them as much as we can, but again, you know, we're only two people and Karen, and I really just deal with grief. If there are some underlying factors that will, of course, you know, complicate their grief. And this is the, what we, we, we have a term complicated grief. And it's, you know, it has to do with family dynamics or things that happened with the relationship or within the, um, the person's life that has affected the grief, then we will also um, send them out to, to a local therapist or counselor that will meet with them on a more regular basis. Um, so I hope that answers the question. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's nice that the services are offered for 13 months because that will get the, the grieving person through the one-year anniversary, mm-hmm. which can be really difficult for people. Um, so it's really nice that you guys have that support there. Do you do the, these sessions privately, like one-on-one over the phone? Or if, if for, say, you had a family, like a spouse and children that were struggling and wanted to kind of meet all together, is that something you would do or is it really focused individually? I, I like to say we're, we're kind of a bridge 
for that more in-depth one-on-one therapy session. Um, and usually I'll do uh, one-on-one on the phone, but I have had some instances where two of my bereaved members or, or three, depending on the, the family dynamic, um, would like to have a joint session. So I've had to have that. It doesn't happen much um, because I think a lot of time people like to have that privacy and exploring their grief and talking about their feelings. And, you know, sometimes it could be um, anger that's coming through and they want to express that anger and frustration. And so they don't necessarily want someone, you know, privy to that conversation. But we're definitely open to what's good for that bereaved member. And if they like to have someone join, that's fine. You know, as long as they're okay with it. We, we allow that, but it's, it's very much, you know, led by the bereaved member and we're just there to walk with them, you know, walk through that journey. And like Debbie said, a lot of the times I might start and tell folks, you know, if you're not open to it now, it's okay. You know, maybe three, four, five months down the line, you know, that might change. And I've had that happen where people were very closed off in the beginning and uh, we're not wanting any support. And then three months down the line decide, you know, I am having a little bit of a harder time and it would be nice to talk to someone. Debbie and I both were very down to earth on our approach. You know, it's very, very um, just a comfortable setting. You know, it's no pressure to kind of dive in right off the bat. Most of the time, some folks like to talk about their grief, but they also like to talk about just different factors that are impacting their grief. So, you know, if they're having a hard time with a family member, um, addressing their grief, they're having a hard time in the workplace, there, a lot of the times I can get spouses who are thinking about dating again, you know, that's something that they don't feel comfortable talking with loved ones, or it'll be the opposite. You know, my family members want me to get out there and date, and I that's not what I want. So, uh, you know, we get a little bit of everything. It's, it's definitely a time where they can just speak freely. There's no judgment. You know, we constantly have to remind them that your grief is your grief. It's personal. You know, the way I might grieve is not going to be the same way Debbie grieves. Um, you know, and that, that's okay. You know, there's no specific timeline. There's no rule book, you know, as long as you're not hurting yourself or others, you're allowed to feel, you know, a certain way and you're allowed to express that. And and that's what Debbie and I are here for. It's such an important, important service. And there are so many facets to grief and, you know, bringing up dating and, and all of that, you know, your life continues, but just in, in a dramatically different way sometimes. So it's, it's really cool that these services exist. Are there, is there a cost for these services or are they free? So they are completely free. Um, Medicare actually pays. um, And so the bereaved family does not have to pay for any of our service. And even if they decline at first and, you know, like I said, you know, six months down the line, they decide to come back still free um, and completely voluntary. You know, there's no specific um, guideline that says you have to agree to this at this time. Um, We offer it for 13 months. So we do keep that open. And, um, you know, we, we let them know, you know, we send our contact information, let them know this is free, this is um, to support you, um, you know, and, and you take the lead. 
So what if the patient is younger than 65 and, and they're not on Medicare? What happens then? It, it doesn't matter. Um, what it is, is once somebody is put on hospice, whether they're a year old or 100 years old, Medicare pays for it. So it doesn't matter whether you're on Medicare or not. Thank you so much for sharing that, Debbie. Um, you know, in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, I would assume a lot of us have some type of grief, whether it be from the loss of a person or a lifestyle, um, we're kind of just grieving the way things used to be. We're sort of getting back to normal a little bit, but I feel like there's always going to be a little layer of grief there for the way things used to be. Um, I'm going to ask each of you, if you can give me sort of your top three tips for dealing with, with grief, Debbie, why don't you, why don't you start us off? You were so right that it, it, there are so many losses, you know, with COVID, there wasn't only the loss of, well, the loss with death, but also the loss of jobs, the loss of social life. So, so yeah, it was a lot to take in. So I guess my, my first tip would be um, let the tears come. It is so important. You know, uh, we were raised, I know, years ago, not show feelings, don't cry. It's a sign of weakness. And and I like to preach the opposite. You know, it's so important to cry. It's so important to let those tears. Um, and it's, you know, even if it is a loss of, um, I don't know, your goldfish and it really upsets you, cry, get it out. It's important. That was important to you. Um, any relationship loss of a job, you have to let those emotions out. If you don't and you keep those tears inside, it's going to fester at some point. And it's either going to come out as another emotion, anger, anxiety, frustration. So I always encourage people and I even tell them schedule a time if you if you're working and you don't and it hits you to cry, but you can't then say, OK, at nine o'clock tonight, I'm crying. <laughs> uh, so schedule that time to cry and um, just realize that tears are healing and it's a day to day process, you know, um, and um, the second one is, I would say, is find a good support system. Um, it, there's something that we always relay to our bereaved is you're going to find after a loss that you have different types of friends and they're kind of broken into thirds. The first third are going to be your really good, faithful, trusting friends. They're there to do anything for you. And that's wonderful. Those are the ones you really want to surround yourself with. You're going to find another third of your friends kind of in the middle. They're very maybe neutral, apathetic. Um, they're not going to hinder your grief in any way, but they don't know what to do, but they're there. The third is the one, the last third are the ones that you really want to um, kind of separate from. And it's really sad because people will find they think they are such good friends with someone and then this person all of a sudden turns into somebody different and is telling them you need to get over it. They're judging them. They're, you know, kind of toxic in a way. And, and it becomes high maintenance on the bereaved to keep up that friendship. And it shouldn't be like that. So we always say, you know what, maybe at that point in your life, you need to separate. So be sure and surround yourself with good people. And don't feel guilty if you see somebody that is not helping you and is making you feel bad you know, it's all right. It's all right to separate. And, and, you know, at some point you'll either come back together or you won't. It's very, you know, grief is very defining in your, in, with your friends. Um, and the third tip, tip I would say is self-care. It's so important. 
um, to take care of yourself. And especially with COVID, you know, we let a lot of things go. <laughs> um, but even after a death, um, most people are exhausted. They've been taking care of their loved one. Now they're having to handle all the stuff that you have to do after a death, the financial needs, the funeral arranging. So self-care is something I always try to tell. Your tank is empty. You know, most people don't realize how empty it is um, until sometimes I'll say something and I'll say, you know, your tank's empty. It may even be below empty. And they're like, yeah, I never really thought about that. So what do you do to fill it back up? Is it you find something that you enjoy? And some people feel bad about that. They're like, well, I, I, I don't want to do anything that makes me happy because that's not that's not right. You know, I'm like, it's all right. You can be happy and sad at the same time. And you have to fill that tank back up. It's so important. So absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Debbie. I I like that um that that phrase, two things can be true. Mm -hmm. And you said it perfectly. You can be happy and sad at the same time. You can enjoy things while still grieving your loved one. Um, it's possible. So thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that. Um, Karen, what about you? What are your um, three tips for us? You know, I have to say Debbie's, especially that last one with self-care. I, I think we, you know, we live by that basically. And, and I can't um, reiterate that enough. Uh, but just jumping on back on those, um, the three that I, I like to just let my bereaved members know, but really just anybody going through any grief, like you said, you know, post COVID, we've, we've, we've been grieving <laughs> for a long time. So um, the first one is just allowing yourself to change your mind, you know, nothing set in stone. A lot of the times, you know, just even making plans for the weekend, can be very heavy. You know, you feel like, okay, I'm gonna go out with these friends. They just invited me to this bridal shower or they invited me, you know, to this party and I wanna be there and it's great. And I think I'm ready for it. And then the day comes and you are just, you know, you're not ready. You just don't feel it. And that's okay. You know, I think most people will understand if you have gone through a process of grief that there's going to be times when you're just not ready. A lot of the times, you know, if it's a loss of a child or loss of a marriage, you know, going to a bridal shower, going to a baby shower can be very triggering, you know, and it's not that you're not happy for your loved one, but it's, it's just a lot to take in. And I, I like to tell my uh, bereaved members, you know, always have an exit strategy, a plan B. If you get there, you're fine. And then all of a sudden you just find it, it becomes too overwhelming. Have that plan B. And, you know, if it's, you know, have a friend call your phone and or text and, you know, oh, I have to go or, um, you know, have a moment in the car where you can just, you know, cry if you need to, give yourself some room to breathe, whatever that looks like. But I think going into anything, you need to have a plan B. And it's not just celebrations. This could be anything. This could be, you know, a certain job. Um, it could be a certain um, destination that you plan to go to. You know, you just, you just never know how grief is going to hit you. So I think that's important. Um, my second one is just knowing there's no right or wrong way to grieve. You know, I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but I think a lot of the times, um, especially uh, in, in society, you know, they, they always say, you know, you should kind of, you know, by the six months, you should be one way. And by the anniversary, gosh, you should be here. And, you know, and by the third year and, 
you know, that's not true. I've spoken to many people who have lost a loved one or have lost a job or have gone through a divorce. And years later, that still brings up, you know, some very strong emotions. And sometimes you're not even aware of it that you haven't really been able to properly grieve that loss. And it just comes like a tsunami, you know, and, and you have to allow yourself to be able to feel that. And if it's something that's coming to the surface, you know, um, lean into it and allow yourself that vulnerability and to be able to, to process that grief. And my third, and I think it's the most important is forgiveness, forgiveness for yourself, forgiveness for anyone who's hurt you, forgiveness, you know, for if, if you need to, um, allow yourself, you know, the, the space of, you know, I'm angry that this person died. I'm angry that I was fired. I'm angry that this relationship didn't work. Forgiveness for those. And, you know, sometimes the hardest part is forgiving yourself. You know, that is something that we're so easily able to give grace to others, but to ourselves is, is hard, you know, and I, I speak that to myself every day, you know, we're not, perfect robots who are human beings and every day we're going to have some type of mishap or you know argument or disagreement and so forgiving yourself needs to be something that is on the forefront and um you know it's it's okay it's going to be hard sometimes but you have to remember that you uh, are important too and forgiving yourself for anything that you feel that was left unsaid, undone, or you wish you could do differently is, uh, is okay. Oh, Karen, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so April is Counseling Awareness Month, and um, we really want to share our thanks to both of you, to all of the wonderful counselors here at Mary Washington Healthcare. Can you talk a little bit, we've, we've kind of covered this, but I really want to like pinpoint, can you talk a little bit about why counseling is so important for people who are grieving because I think a lot of people think they can like strong arm through their grief and that they don't need help and they like you said they have expectations for how it should go um talk a little bit about the benefits of counseling and why it's so important Debbie can you can you share with us sure um gosh I think one of the main Oh, benefits of counseling is just being able to talk to somebody. People don't realize how important that is to talk, you know, to talk to somebody who will sit there and listen. And, um, and that's why most people who have a good support system of friends that will sit and listen do very well. And, and ones that don't, that's when counseling really comes into play with them and and because you really do need somebody who can just sit there and listen and i think counseling and and i've always said this with everything i think everybody could use a good counseling session sometime in their life (laughs) be it for grief be it for you know whatever i think it's very very important and i think that the good thing with what karen and i do i think we open that door And I think opening the door is so important because I think that door has been shut for a long time. And and I think I understand why years ago there was so much death with, you know, wars and things like that, that people kind of had to close the door and say, okay, I have to go on with life, you know, but now I think as a society, we understand the importance of being able to connect 
with each other and the importance of communication. So I think counseling just really helps. And it also, sometimes you just need another person to say, hey, have you thought about this? Or try this, you know, because sometimes we get kind of tunnel vision, you know, with, with, um, with something. And it's nice to have somebody else's opinion. And I think sometimes people feel more comfortable talking with somebody like Karen or myself because we aren't family, you know. Sometimes it's easier to hear something or advice from an anonymous person than a family member. So I, I think that's why I, I feel like counseling is so important. I completely agree with you. I think um, a lot of times an impartial observer can tell you a little bit more about, you know, they they can see it from from a bird's eye view rather than being mm-hmm. kind of in the trenches of the grief and it's not always the same talking with your friends and your family because they have a different view of that relationship. So it can be really important to talk to someone who has no preconceived notions Mm -hmm. and just be that sounding board. Karen, what about you? Why do you feel like counseling is so important? Well, it's funny you say that because I I tell Debbie all the time, I'm so glad that I have her Mm -hmm. as a colleague because we, you know, after a hard stay work, we have to have that downtime Mm -hmm. to be able to talk about our grief and, you know, everything we're going through. So even speaking from a personal standpoint, it's so important to be able to just discuss those emotions, um, walk through them and, you know, figure out, you know, this happened and this is how I'm feeling and have that empathy with the other person. And so we, we do that for ourselves and as well as the people that we talk to on a daily basis, you know, it's nice to have, like you said, uh, that third party that just allows you to just talk. You know, a lot of the times nowadays it's, it's instant gratification Mm -hmm. and you don't have that time to really just discuss how you're feeling and have someone just listen there's no back and forth, you know, speedy, instant gratification. It's more of, well, why are you feeling this way? And how, how can you view this in a way that's going to be helpful moving forward? You know, we always say um, with the pain of grief, you, you don't just leave it. You, ju- you just learn how to move forward with it a little bit easier. You know, your, your pain and um, your sadness and your aching for a loved one, it doesn't necessarily just disappear overnight. It's something that will stay with you for the rest of your life. And it's learning how to be able to acknowledge that and take the time and have the the proper discussions to allow people to know, hey, you know, I'm I'm sad right now and I need to talk to someone or I'm actually having a good day today and I'm happy about it and I'm not going to feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, like I said, Debbie and I have those same conversations and, you know, we have to keep it lighthearted sometimes too. And we have good times in our office where, you know, we, we, we discuss the, the hard day, but at the same time we discuss, you know, the good stuff. I like to have my calls whenever we're having a, a good conversation and, and just ask, you know, was there anything good this week that you just felt really proud of? And sometimes it's just getting out of bed. I'll be honest with you. Most people are like, I got out of bed. I made my coffee and I was able to say my loved one's name without crying. And I tell them that is fantastic. But guess what? If you did cry, that's okay too, you know? So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's those little, little details in life that I think really help being able to talk through them with somebody that 
is just there to support you um, and is, is somewhat of a cheerleader through that grief journey. I love that. I love that. I love that you two support each other because I can imagine it's it can be a very difficult job that's very emotionally draining. You're pouring so much of yourself out all day long. Um, and I'm sure it's nice to have each other to, to, you know, hold each other up and fill your cups back up. So I'm so, I'm so glad that you two have that relationship. Is there anything else that, that either of you would like to share with our audience today about bereavement and grief after loss? You know, the one thing I guess I would say is for people to reach out, you know, and unfortunately I know, I mean, we've lost a lot of we used to offer a lot of community uh, support and we're, we're working our way back to that for, um, for people that weren't on hospice. But there is a lot out there. You just have to search. And one thing I will recommend, I, I love to tell people about, I, it's a little hard sometimes for people that are into getting onto the computer on the internet, but for the majority of people that are comfortable with it, there are some wonderful websites out there. And sometimes for people who aren't comfortable with talking or don't want to talk, or maybe want to just do snippets of things, when you can get on and go to some of these websites, um, that is so helpful. And they have resources that will, um, that one, our favorite one I'm going to give you, it's called whatsyourgrief.com. It's all one word. And um it is phenomenal. And the two girls who started it have so many resources for grief. They, they also have podcasts, they have webinars, but even just to be able to go there and you can say, you know, loss of a mother. And there are all these articles and all these resources that, that pop up and, you know, and, and also for our younger, our younger generations, I think they find that very comforting because that's what they're used to. I think you know, if we can reach people at those different ways, you know, I think then that can be even more helpful than just saying, you've got to handle your grief this way. <laughs> so um, I think that would be the advice I would be is just reach out. That's amazing. Thank you, Debbie. Karen, what about you? What is your advice for our audience? Yeah, just to piggyback on Debbie, I think definitely reaching out. I think a lot of the times we're a little bit of uh, in isolation when it comes to grief. So I would suggest reaching out and checking out support groups. I know um, post-COVID, it's, it has been a little bit um, shaky throughout the community, you know, getting back into groups. But I know a, a few places that are certainly starting to meet again. Um, a lot of local churches, a lot of um, local community centers, you know, di different places will have support groups. And I think being able to talk with someone who's gone through that same loss um, is really helpful. You know, sometimes you'll have a specific support group, you know, specific to the loss, but sometimes you'll have more of a general support group. So it just depends on what you're looking for. But I do find that that's a big help. And I think also just talking about your grief, you know, families nowadays have been going through a lot, you know, you just turn on the news and there's so much going on. And I think just opening that conversation up, you know, with your kids and when, with your partners and spouses and, and just being able to be vulnerable, especially with our, our young generation, like Debbie said, just, you know, speaking about how are you feeling today and did this happen? And, you know, did, does that make you feel sad or how, how are you feeling about it? And just making it a normal conversation. I think it could be a little bit awkward at first because we're very much, you know, 
kind of taught to, you know, kind of keep it to ourselves as much as we can and just, you know, press on. But 2023 is, is a year that you see a lot of changes and people being really in tune with how they're feeling. And, you know, the past, gosh, what's it, is it three years now? COVID? It feels like five, but it feels like a hundred. <laughs> you know, I feel like, you know, we're at mark 50, but you know, it's, it's been a lot and we've had a lot to grieve and we've had a lot, a lot of losses, but I will say that along with that, there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of love and there's a lot of connection. And I like to tell our brief family members the best way to honor your loved one and to honor those that have passed is continuing to live. And, you know, it's so important. And it doesn't mean that you're betraying that love or you're betraying that connection. It's very much just going on with life and showing that, you know what, I'm bringing that love with me and, uh, and, and just continue forth. Can I also add, because I think it, it is so important what Karen said, and support groups sometimes can be hard to find. You know what? You can start your own support group. I mean, I, you know, I'll talk to women that have lost their husbands and they'll say, you know, yeah, there's two or three other women in the neighborhood that love lost, you know, get them together. You can start your own support group, you know, or even we, we call, Karen and I call a find that one friend that, or, or someone that shares that same grief, uh, find that grief buddy, you know, that you can, that you can um, connect with, but it, you know, you don't have to wait for something to happen. Sometimes you can make that happen by seeking out the ones that are sharing the same grief. So those support groups, like Karen said, are so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're, we're designed as as humans to connect with people mm -hmm. and to be with people and seeking out that um that connection with people who have a shared experience can really um make all the difference i think in the in the healing process debbie karen thank you so much for being with us today i want to wish you both a very happy counselor awareness month um and thank you for sharing what you do and and thank you for the services that you provide here at Mary Washington Healthcare for our hospice patients and, and their families. And um, really, it's such a vital thing that you guys do. And we really, we appreciate you being here today, but we appreciate what you do every day. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to, um, on behalf of me and Debbie, just say to all the the bereaved family members that we speak to that it's just an honor that we get to walk with you through this grief journey and we're just happy to be here and we're thankful that Mary Washington is highlighting counselors because we love them. <laughs> that we do, that we do. Thank you guys. Thank you. This has been a production of Inside MWHC and I'm Ashley Laporte. Learn more about Mary Washington Hospice by visiting hospice.mwhc.com.